Hi, this is Wentworth Miller. You're listening to The Flash Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Flash Podcast, your podcast for all things related to CW's The Flash, starring Ryan Gustin as Barry Allen slash The Flash. This is your summer season of the podcast, where we do a couple of special topics leading up to the season premiere of The Flash, which will air on Tuesday, October 10th at 8th on the CW. So we're getting close now to the premiere, so we're kind of getting cl- close to wrapping up the summer season with, uh, I think, our final character spotlight for... We're just for the summer run, so and it's a it's a big one. But before we go on, I'm Andy B. I'm one of your hosts as as usual, and uh, I'm joined once again by our good friend of the podcast, who's a, he's a senior staff writer at Combo.com. He's the host of Emer- Emerald City Radio Podcast, Archie Digest, a Riverdale Podcast, and the Delicious Flavor Podcast, a Psych Rewatch Podcast. And he is Mr. Russ Burnley Games. So Russ, welcome back. How are you doing tonight? Great. How are you, Andy? I, uh, I it's been a it's. Been, it's been a day uh, for, good, for good and bad reasons, uh, but mostly good, uh, which people will will get to hear a little bit later in the show. Because uh, guess what, guys, we uh, we're taking a page out of uh, either the Marvel movies or the Quiver, the Greener podcast page, uh, because we Russ and I we may have done a little post credit scene, I guess like you can call it a scene, even though it's like it's just audio. So uh, where we talk about some. Some comic book stuff, comic book TV stuff, and whether or not it is these TV related, you will have to just listen to the end. But uh, no, but I'm I'm doing well. Otherwise, I'm 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 glad that we're getting closer now to um to the premiere of the Flash. Even though it kind of feels like they've already shown us everything that we need to see because we got like a huge trailer that came out this week, and then just two hours later we got all the premiere photos, which. You know how funny it was last year when they like barely showed us anything from the Flashpoint premiere, which by the end, by the time we had seen it, like it wasn't really that spoilerific. But then with this one, they're like they're showing us almost everything, even though we we shouldn't be seeing everything because it's like Barry's in the Speed Force. We're not really supposed to know what's going on, and like I feel like I know more about this premiere than I did with the Flashpoint premiere from last season. I don't know if you feel the same way, but that's just the way i was feeling that when all that yeah. was dropping a few days ago i think it's probably on purpose to be honest with you i think uh the i think that the flashpoint the way that they handled flashpoint probably hurt season three as a whole uh because i think that you know people were really disappointed by how quickly flashpoint was and not everybody obviously but there was a very vocal segment of the fandom that was very upset with how quickly flashpoint was kind of discarded and i i kind of feel like 
going into the episode and not knowing that that's how it was going to play out and expecting more probably played a part in that. So I think that probably they decided going into this season premiere that the best way you could handle it would be to put all your cards on the table and let the audience know, like, this is the show you're in for, like, sit back and enjoy. Yeah, and luckily they haven't given away everything. Like, there's still some mysteries with the, with the premiere. But, um, but yeah, I feel like, I again, like, I do feel like I feel I know more about this uh, about this season premiere than I did with even season two or season three. Like this time, I feel like okay, they put up fourteen photos, which you can find on the flyingbrothers.com website, and I kind of feel like okay, this is kind of. I feel like I know half of the episode at this point, and then, you know, the big surprise will probably be whatever they show us in the 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 coda after the Flash title. I mean, logo shows up, and then mm-hmm. um, who knows? Maybe another Harrison Wells. Who knows? Whatever. <laughs> They're gonna do. Hope, hopefully, that will be a good surprise. But um, and, and and you know, and not to be like sound completely snarky. Like, of course, I'm excited, and I'm sure you are too, Russ. It was just kind of like funny, like you know, when we're covering this for you know, you know, as uh, you know, for our living, it's mm-hmm. kind of funny to reflect and see. Well, remember last year where we're like, it felt like we didn't know anything that was going on, but we got like this material material to work with, and then this year it's kind of like now they're almost showing us everything and. Um, but uh, but yes, we're getting closer to the fourth season of The Flash. And um, last week we talked about one of the new heroes that are coming to the show, Elon and Man, which you, you guys should uh, definitely listen to. But be prepared; it's very, it's a lot to take in because I wasn't prepared for all the backstory we we're gonna get on on uh, Ralph and and specifically his uh, his loved one. But um, but we have a new villain coming to the show, and someone that was mentioned a few times in season three of The Flash to kind of tease that he was coming, and he he's Clifford DeVoe, aka The Thinker, and Russ is here with us today to uh, learn to, to teach us all about this new villain that is coming to to the CW this year. So, so Russ, like, what the like, just starting generally, like, what's what's Clifford's comic history? Uh, he's one of the the Flash's kind of longest running villains who isn't. Uh, I mean, he has been once in a while, but who isn't regularly one of the rogues? Uh, very much like um, Edward Claris, who appeared in the first episode of season three. He was actually a Jay Garrick villain originally. He was created in the nineteen forties, and basically, when when you first meet Clifford in the comics he's just a like really smart criminal like he uh, in in the golden age he was uh, his title as thinker wasn't really a, a code name so much as it was like kind of what he does he prepared alibis and like legal arguments and things to help bad guys in an organized crime organization that he was a part of stay out of jail um, and kind of gamed the system. Uh, eventually you would get kind of that, like that kind of golden age gangster version of a thinker would give way to a more scientific uh, technology driven thinker in the silver age when he would first meet Barry Allen. At that point he had a lot of like, cool devices and he would like 
come up with ways to like murder somebody and have the cops believe that it was a suicide kind of thing. Uh, and he had kind of his signature thing was he had his thinking cap, which could, depending on who was writing it, uh, the most common thing was that he basically could use it to project like force to basically have the same kind of psionic blasts that you would see Gene Gray use all the time on the X-Men cartoon in the 90s. Um, depending on who was writing and what the needs of the story were, you would also see that being able to like either control people or make people submit or, or things like that. Although we never really got like a full on like puppet master kind of, you know, controlling people for any extended period of time. Um, that version of the thinker, like he was mostly a Barry villain. And then when he eventually like went to jail, uh, the next time we really saw him a lot, like, was after he had passed away. Like, he dies, I think he died in jail. He might have died as part of a Suicide Squad mission, because he, he was part of the Suicide Squad for a while. I want to say during the 80s run of the Suicide Squad by John Ostrander. Um, and in, in the 80s, the Suicide Squad was a lot more kind of true to its premise than it is nowadays, because nowadays the characters who are in it are like, everybody is somebody's favorite. Um, but in the 80s, you would have characters that nobody really cared that much about. And so a lot of the time, like, yeah, you would actually have, like, somebody in the Suicide Squad die, like, once every story or so. Um, but anyway, after the thinker died... Um, Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. He he got cancer, and it was apparently, I don't know if it was ever firmly established, but I know that people, like, the general, like, supposition is that it was tied to always having the thinking cap on, like, the, because it was, you know, messing with his brain. Um, but uh, DeVoe passed away, and then he would later come back as, like, an artificial intelligence where... Uh, they, I believe that it wasn't actually him. I think that Mr. Terrific actually created a computer model based on the thinker for some reason um, to help him with something. And then, of course, it gains consciousness and, like, builds itself a body and becomes a supervillain again. Um, but, like, that AI version of the thinker uh, it's funny because like it was a, a relatively short-lived kind of period in the character's existence because it was basically from like 2005 or so up until like the 2011 DC reboot. Uh, but I feel like that version would be the one that has the most obvious upside for the Flash because like it's such a technology-driven show that having a character who can manipulate technology, who can transport himself through technology. Uh, you know, who could mess with Cisco in a lot of the same ways that a character like Clock King or the Calculator messes with Felicity on Arrow. Uh, I, I, I almost feel like that would be a great fit for this show. I don't know if that's where they're going to go. But uh, one of the, like, I, I feel like a lot of the stuff that you could see the thinker doing, and, and in the comics, it didn't, like, he didn't really ever take off because the reinvented version of the thinker after he got like his AI powers he was in like a bright green like 
the holographic form with like his thinking cap had become a head for him. And so like he was just an ugly looking character. Like just from a design point of view, he was not pleasant to look at. And so I feel like they didn't get very much out of that era of him. But at the same time, it's kind of begging for a TV reinvention. And like, as, as, as much as this is going to sound like I'm bagging on Supergirl, which I'm really not because I like Supergirl a lot, but I, I feel like you could do stuff with the thinker that would have been kind of the ideal thing to do with Cyborg Superman before Cyborg Superman kind of was a damp squib. Oh my god, that math is horrible. Like, I'm yeah, so- I don't know what they were thinking. That was like... It was uncomfortable like, to watch, even. Yeah, that was that was like two thousand five Doctor Who kind of visual effects, and I, I I don't get it. I really don't, because like that this show has like the the CWDC shows by and large have such great visual effects, and I'm just like I don't understand how somebody let that pass. Anyway, that's a whole other. But, I mean, even beyond just the look of the cyborg Superman, like, because of the fact that he was, like, you can't really explain why he was called cyborg Superman. Thank he you. That's the actually... one thing I've been ranting about every time I'm on Supergirl Radio talking about that. I'm like, why was he called cyborg Superman on the show? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, and so, to, to me, I think that there's a, a huge opportunity here. And, again, I don't know if they'll take it. I don't know if they have any interest in it. Uh, but I feel like there's a huge opportunity here for them to use the thinker to kind of make up for what they didn't get to do with Cyborg Superman because so many of like Cyborg Superman's coolest powers from the comics are something that either inherently exist in the AI version of the thinker or at a bare minimum could be kind of intuited to exist and so you could make it happen on TV and just say like no it makes total sense well, you were talking a little bit about his, um, you know, you're talking about his comic history, and like, are there any significant storylines that, if people want to go and read a little bit about the thinker, like, what comic book storyline would you recommend them to read, and why? Uh, during the probably the easiest one to get your hands on that is good is uh, shortly after the New Fifty Two launched, they revisited the idea of the thinker being part of the Suicide Squad. And this is kind of a more kind of grimy, gritty, like you look at him and he just looks creepy version of the thinker. Um, But uh, in, I want to say it's volume four of the Suicide Squad trade paperbacks from the New 52 run, uh, which is, it's by Matt Kent and Patrick Zercher. Uh, You get a story that features the like New 52 reinvention of the thinker. And that one is a little bit more in the vein of, like, a Hector Hammond from Green Lantern kind of villain. Like, he's this guy with an incredibly powerful brain, and he kind of pays for that by having a body that's always broken. Um, And it wouldn't surprise me if that is a story that more or less is reflective of how they deal with him on television. It feels like that is something that plays really easily on TV, um, so that's, pri- it's a good story cause Matt Kent and Patrick Zercher are both geniuses. Um, so even though like 
it's not my favorite take on the character in terms of like how he operates. Uh, it, it definitely is. Even though it's not my favorite take on the character, it's definitely a fun story with that version of the character, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, the kind of more classic thinker stories, I, I don't really remember specific thinker story. Like, I, again, you can kind of tell that I, I have only a kind of a passing memory of a lot of these stories, and I'm kind of stitching the timeline together, mostly not by remembering what comes next, but by finding something that comes and then trying to fill in gaps. Um, there was a, a story in, I want to say about the the you know the stuff in JSA where he joined the the Injustice Society I can't remember when this was uh okay so JSA 17 was the end of his story in the JSA monthly series which was the Justice Society series by Jeff Johns and uh, a host of other talented people that ran in the like early to mid 2000s uh, and he reappeared again uh, to fight Wally West in, like, right around Flash 180, I want to say. Um, so if you if you can find I don't I, those, I'm sure, are in trade paperback. I can't tell you where. I know that the Flash appearance is in one of the Jeff Johns Presents uh, the Flash trade paperbacks. Like, they have a three trade paperback set that brings all of Jeff's run together. And I'm sure, you know, if you look, go through those and find out, like, which one has number 187, that's the trade that you would read to see his... There's a story where he fights the Wally West Flash and... Size, you know, Wally stays, who's now a member of the Justice League. Um, but the, uh, the JSA story is a lot better in my... At least in my memory um, than the Flash story was. So I would say, I think it's JSA like 14 through 17. I don't think it's a full six-part story, but he was he was around for at least a few months. I noticed uh, one of those covers where he, it's, it's probably Barry's Flash, where he's like, when the machine is like being put on his head and then all the rogues are like in, in the background or something. That, because I, like, I know like a lot of tra- like websites would like use it as a photo yeah. for like their news story and so on. Um I think it was called thought crime or something like that maybe that's like a one issue thing or whatnot um it's pr- it sounds to me like um it sounds to me like that's a silver age issue um although thought crime is like a relatively recent like meme so it wouldn't surprise me if they if it's just uh yeah i don't i don't know off the top of my head i can provide you with some context tomorrow um but i don't, I don't see it just on a quick search and that's not one of the ones that i think of when i think of the character um, it's probably like a Silver Age issue, and that's why. Because like back in the day, it used to be a lot more common for there to be multiple baddies. Um, one thing I will say uh, that's worth checking out is uh, the um, Flashpoint Legion of Doom storyline. Uh, it's a mini series. It was collected in the World of Flashpoint. I want to say, hold on, there was a collected edition. Like, the, the, the thing with Flashpoint was that each collected edition had, like, two different um, miniseries in it because the miniseries were so short. Uh, so let me see if I can try to remember where it eventually got collected. 
But that one is definitely worth a read. He's not a major character in it, but he is kind of like, he helps shape how it all shakes out in the end. Because uh, he, he appears kind of prominently in the third issue of the three-issue miniseries. Um, and it is actually, he, the, the miniseries is collected in the World of Flashpoint, The Flash trade paperback, which, if you're looking at the book, has the reverse Flash on the cover. Uh, and that book, uh, that was by Adam Glass, who was, he, he would go on after Flashpoint to handle Suicide Squad. And uh, uh, I can't remember who did the art. Um, hold on. Rodney Bushimi, who I don't really know, but the art, I remember it looking really good. And so I'm kind of surprised that he hasn't done more stuff. Probably he's like a licensing art guy who does a bunch of DC comics for General Mills or some crazy thing, and I just don't know about it. Um, but uh, yeah, so the Flashpoint stuff is super interesting because a lot of characters, if they aren't 180 degrees different from their regular selves you get a really good distillation of what makes them interesting because you have three issues in a totally alien world to try and sell people on this character. So the version of the thinker that shows up in the Flashpoint Legion of Doom miniseries is a really good, like, okay, if we need to introduce, introduce this character in three pages, how do we do it? Bang. Which, again, that, that kind of economy of storytelling is something that I think you're going to see them try to emulate on the TV show because I, I can't imagine they're going to spend, like, an entire episode introducing... DeVoe, I think they're going to get want to get right into it. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely not going to be in the premiere as far as I know, because I think they would have, I think we would have seen him a little bit in the trailer at Comic-Con, or at least, at least the trailer has been released so far. I don't think he, like, I would not expect to see him in the premiere. I think he will probably yeah, make his debut in episode two or something, but <laughs> but we will get there a little, in, a, in a little bit. But uh, but you were mentioning that, um, and we don't have to go through all of them because there's so many, Like, but uh, is there anything people should know about the other thinkers that have come after Cl- Clever DeVoe? Uh, give me just a second. I, I took a couple of notes, but it's I, I've been kind of all over the place because no, I keep remembering no, stuff. No worries. And then, no worries. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people who call themselves the thinker that I don't think are actually directly involved with DeVoe. Um, you know, because the thing, because a thinker was apparently a thing in the world of organized crime, uh, you have like a Superman villain and there are two Superman villains and two Batman villains that are just variations on smart guys who punch things who work with organized crime. Um, There's another thinker who is uh, uh, Goofy Garlow, who is a Plastic Man villain from the old quality comics days before Plastic Man even got picked up by uh, DC, or before, yeah, Plastic Man ever got picked up by DC. Probably the most interesting slash notable one that isn't DeVoe is Cliff Carmichael, who, again... Uh, he was a villain in like I think two issues of the fl- of Firestorm, and then it was like, okay, guys, he got his ass kicked. Time to go in the Suicide Squad. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a recurring motif here, which is you'll notice that the Thinker often ends up in the Suicide Squad. Um, he did in the pre-Crisis and or the pre-Flashpoint DC Universe, and that was you know where he died, uh, and then he did in the post flashpoint dc universe and that's kind of his only story and then when you look at one of his substitute you know thinkers um 
And this dude was very much just a knockoff of DeVoe at a time when I think DeVoe was either dead or reformed or off the table in some way. This guy appeared, uh, Clifford Carmichael appeared in 1978 for the first time. He actually showed up in the very first issue of Firestorm. Um, he was a, a fellow student at Firestorm's high school. And he basically had the, uh, had the thinking cap and was smart and kind of a dick. Um, probably you won't see anything much out of Clifford Carmichael. I mean, the, you might get a Clifford Carmichael who like works under DeVoe. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see that. But like the Carmichael version, if, if we were to see him, he would be radically changed. Like his, his personality in the comic is basically like the smart guy who picks on Ronnie for being a dumb jock which is not Aww. a thing. And so... Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, but still, I, I don't know why I odd. Most people, like, anytime someone says Ronnie, I mean, I only see Robbie Mel's face. Uh, like, I see him, like, in Star Labs with Caitlin. I'm like, oh, why would someone pick on him? He's so nice. <laughs> but yeah, like, why would someone mock, like, for being a jock? That's kind of ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and then... Outside of that, it's like I'm looking at all of these these various thinkers. There's like five different versions of DeVoe that have shown up on uh, various other media in terms of like they had like the ugly green uh, AI version of clip of thinkers show up on um, Batman the Brave and the Bold. Uh, he had like a costume that kind of looks like a sleeker, more updated version of Cliff Carmichael's costume, except in purple instead of yellow, that showed up on the Justice League, and on both the Justice League and then in a different episode of Batman the Brave and the Bold. And then there's, like, yet another version of a dude in a purple costume, uh, this time with a truly spectacular and extravagant thinking cap that looks like something out of the, like, Jetsons. Uh, <laughs> that uh, shows up in the DC Super Friends cartoon. Uh, so, so really, I mean, you have basically a bunch of anonymous dudes who are basically the brains of their organized crime operation. And uh, in terms of that, you have one, two, three, four, five of those guys, three of whom don't even have names. Like, you have Desmond Connor, who was a Batman villain in the 80s and 90s, I want to say. Let me look. Yeah, no, first appeared in 1997. Um, and he basically, as far as I can remember, showed up during the um, the post-cataclysm period when Gotham was basically a train wreck, and he was kind of an anti-oracle, I think, for maybe a story or two, um, and then just disappeared off the face of the earth. But yeah, I mean, DeVoe, the most interesting things that you get out of him is that he's a guy who was really smart and has a superiority complex, that he can enhance his mind's kind of inherent abilities with technology, and that eventually uh, that technology is a danger to him, kills him, and he ends up essentially bonded to the, te to the technology in order to survive. Like and again, yeah, a little bit, yeah. I, the interesting thing about this is that the AI part of him was so far down the line that you almost think, like, okay, they probably won't do that. But with Barry having just been in the Speed Force and basically survived being scattered to electricity and not really having a physical form, uh, 
you could see them drawing some really interesting parallels between the AI version of Clifford DeVoe and the Speed Force isolation of Barry. And that could make for some interesting storytelling in terms of like point-counterpoint with your hero and villain. Um, and certainly, I think narratively, it would be really satisfying after last year where Barry was the bad guy to have a a story where you see two people subjected to fairly similar traumatic experiences and Barry comes out of it as a better person who is able to use that experience positively and the villain does not. So while the AI part of him like is a very small part of Thinker's overall character history, I almost kind of feel like there's a lot of reasons why he would work really effectively for the flash well um before we continue with that i am um, you know just you know just to kind of touch upon his uh, abilities you know you talked about that it's it is basically he's very he's like basically very very smart and mm-hmm. uh, and i guess there is there's some mind control abilities involved i guess like he can like he, he's not just he's not only smart he can do more things with his uh like, let's just let's just say this what sets him apart the power that he has from other villains that have like mind related abilities. Not a whole lot, to be honest with you. I mean, that's kind of a, a big thing is that his mind related abilities are not inherently like superpowers. You know, he has a genius level intellect and he's able to essentially make himself things that then elevate him to being on the level with a character like the flash you know, the thinking cap doesn't, like, pick up on signals from his metahuman abilities or anything. It's basically technology that allows him to do cool stuff. And so it, you'd almost say, like, as opposed to being, you know, another villain with mental powers, he's almost kind of like an, a psychic Iron Man in the sense that, like, he's just a really smart dude who has decided, like that this is the way he wants to apply his intelligence is that he wants to essentially compete with the gods of Olympus and he doesn't want to, uh, you know, rather than trying to use his powers within like a capitalist system, he's just going to use it to commit crimes and to beat up on the flash because, you know, that's what you do. Um, so there's, there's something, there's something I think really appealing about that element that he's a, a very self-made character like, this isn't another character that Barry, like, accidentally created either with time travel or, like, with the dark matter explosion or anything like that. Um, if if they keep to the, to the traditional comics, DeVoe is basically just, like, a dude who made himself godlike through strength of will and his own intelligence. Well, well with that said, let's go into... Um that you know like the tv version that we what do we know about him so far um we know that neil sandalands uh hopefully i said his last name correctly he from uh the 100 and uh, a couple other things he's going to be playing the thinker in flash season four the way that uh one of ours describes his character is that he will play DC villain Clifford DeVoe aka the thinker a metahuman with a mega mind who embraces on a season-long battle with the flash that pits the fastest man alive against the fastest mind alive a true genius he's devised an intricate plan to fix all that he deems wrong with humanity 
So, a little bit, maybe a slightly bit different from the comics, but it definitely seems that they're gonna talk about, you know, they're gonna deal with his, that he, you know, it seems like he's definitely sick. And, mm-hmm. and so, and obviously, I mean, the biggest, the, the most significant thing about him is that it, thankfully he's not another evil speedster because as much fun as Reverse Flash and Zoom and and Savitar were fun. Free season is a lot to deal with when you, if you have three freaking villains. You know, villains that are all like the same element as your hero. Well, so, and oh. I, I think I think the bigger thing that's kind of undervalued in terms of why the recurring speedsters are are kind of a problem storytelling wise is that it didn't allow Barry to grow as a character. Like, he was a person who had all this stuff happen to him and who had all these experiences, and he just kept making the same mistakes, and he kept having the same challenge and then losing it the same way and then winning it the same way. And it was just kind of like, narratively, it was unsatisfying because, like, when you're repeating the same story in, like, different permutations, your main character is not really growing. And... For serialized storytelling, if Barry isn't changing over the course of those three years, then, like, why are we still watching? Like, why don't we just go watch the season one DVD? Um, It's very much like what Stephen Amell's been saying about Arrow this year, where people ask him, like, how has his approach to to being Oliver changed? And, uh, uh, And his answer was basically... Well, when I get a script, I look at the things that are going on, and if this doesn't feel like a person who's learned from you know the, the experiences of the last five years, then I want the writers to to like give me another option and take another swing at it. And uh, that's one of those weird things that sounds like kind of like jerky actor stuff, but I get where he's coming from, even yeah. if it's not presented hey, as well as it could be. Yeah, like he's basically, you know, like he's he's like looking at it from a the the way that the audience is looking at it, like that, you know, why is he still stuck in this one place? And uh, you know, you know, if you know, writers can write characters really, really well. So, but at the end of the day, it's the actors who end up playing them that that will know the characters the best. So, mm-hmm. so even yeah, like you said, even even if Steven could maybe choose a better way to say it, I think the statement is still true and valid. And um, and you're right. If Barry doesn't, and that's one of the things that we were kind of struggling with this season on the flashbacks with Barry was that, well, so much that he was doing was being dictated by fear. So mm-hmm. like, it's not it's not only does he not grow as a character, but he kind of starts to run backwards, and that's not really what we want to see when you're in the third year. But again. Season three. This is this this is the issue with season three of any genre show. The third the third year always has to be mega super dark. Uh, so Supergirl and Legends fans, get ready. I don't expect it to be as bright as it was last season. <laughs> and uh, and for Flash, I don't know, man. Have you seen what they're doing over at Legends? Okay, there's <laughs> still there's still ways they can do with dark though. Like I mean. Okay, so I mean, it's a bad I, I pun, but Damien Dark is back okay. again. You know, it doesn't really make sense uh, because it's like it's post season four, Damien Dark. But I'm like, but he. I just, I don't want to. I don't want to think about Damien Dark anymore. It makes me sad. 
But you, but, oh. are you, but are you one of those people that loves Legends? Like, I thought you would be excited for him to come back. Oh, I, I really, I love, I love Legends. I, I don't love Damien Dar. And it's, you know, don't get me wrong. I love Neil McDonough as an actor. Oh, he's, he's phenomenal. Been, and I love him as a guy. Like, I've interviewed him a bunch of times, and he is one of the nicest, funniest dudes you'll ever interview. But, like, Damien as a character really ran his course for me in season four of Arrow. And I didn't really feel the need to have him back last year on Legends. Um, and now we're in year three of this, and I'm just kind of like, really? This is our Malcolm Merlin? Because uh, I don't know if I've got it in me to sit through five years of Damien Dark. Well, um, I I definitely think it's really unfair. He gets to come back, but not, um, you know, that character that he um, credged. Yeah, I mean that's uh, again that's a whole different. Oh, I I know I know I'm not gonna open that I'm not gonna open that camp because people know how I feel about that. I just think it's kind of like oh great so, Damien who legit died in the season four final of era he gets to come back and he also gets to bring his daughter now who's like a grown up but. Uh, why couldn't Barry like out of all the things that Barry could have flashpointed he could like he had to. He couldn't have flashpointed season four of Arrow, but he could flashpoint away baby Sarah to... Okay, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to start. I'm not going to start. Let's talk about DeVoe. And what do you think... What makes him a unique villain for for, for TV for the TV version of The Flash? Like, why do you think this is the right... You know, besides the fact that we've had speeches now for the past three years, why do you think this is the right time for the finger to come in? And, was, you know, and also, if you want to add anything about... Because I know you talked to the cast and producer, or producer, I guess, because I... It was only Todd there at Comic Con. Yeah. Like, um, what, what, like, what do you think it makes him unique for the show based on how you feel about him, based on what you have talked to with the people behind the show? I think one of the things that has not really happened on The Flash yet, and we saw a tiny bit of it in season two, but it was discarded really quickly, is this idea of a kind of field general for the bad guys. Um, when you have somebody like the flash who can just super speed into a group of people and leave them all tied up and beat down without really breaking a sweat, there's something that's really appealing about creating an environment where the villains are working around that. Uh, and to me, I think that, that there's really something there to somebody who can basically say, okay, guys, I'm in charge now. Here's what we're going to do to get rid of the Flash. And, you know, we talked last time about how we kind of wanted to do, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, how, how we kind of wanted to see them do the, the actual rogues, like get a large group of rogues together and do like a rogues story. And I feel like that would lend itself really easily to the, the thinker. Like, I could see him kind of assembling an army of rogues and then a group of them doing their own thing because they either lose interest in him or are more interested in their own agenda or whatever it is that pulls them away from his mission. Um, so I, th- I think that the biggest thing that he brings is that he brings something we haven't really seen on The Flash before, which is, you know, he's a dude who comes from organized crime. He's a dude who likes to be in charge of the bad guys, essentially. And I don't think that you're going to see him, like, 
waiting around dark corners to try and get a way to like stand in relative uh, safety while either flunkies do his work or powers do his work or whatever. So I think that you're going to see a very different kind of conflict because if you have a character who's not interested in standing toe-to-toe with the Flash, like that, that was a big thing is that at the end of the day, all these speedsters, like they all just want to prove that they're better than Barry at Barry's own game. And you're going to see in DeVoe a character who knows he's not better than Barry at Barry's own game because he does an entirely different thing for entirely different reasons. Uh, so I think it'll, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. And I'll be really interested to see whether he becomes essentially a, you know, a crime boss for supervillains, for lack of a better kind of way of saying it. Well, the thing, the, 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 um, the cast, the, 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 the character description t- touches upon that he has this intricate plan to fix all that he deems wrong with humanity. What what do you think that could be about? Honestly, my guess is that that is basically giving him a bigger agenda than just making money, beating the Flash, whatever. Um, you know, I think that at the end of the day, a really simple agenda, like essentially being an organized crime dude who gets away with stuff, is not super compelling over a 23-episode season. So my guess is that that they'll give him some kind of damaged Magneto, I think that I'm right, kind of motivation. And kind of by doing that, they can make him a deeper and more interesting character who's more likely to last, you know, 20 episodes instead of getting boring after five. Because frankly, that was kind of the problem they had in season two with zoom is that once you got past like the big reveal you went through the whole second half of that season and it's just like i'm faster than you it's like okay so like if if that's your motivation just to be better than the other dude then like okay go you 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 won you want to be you you were you were good at being petty basically. Yeah, yeah. And I mean obviously there was more to Zoom than that. Oh yeah, but because I, but like the whole his change in the middle of the season was from being like I want to destroy all the speedsters in all the multiverse now I want to destroy the whole multiverse was kind of like I mean as cool yeah. as that race was in the finale and like the whole time race making him into Black Flash. If you look from a bigger perspective is why? Why like why Hunter why? Yeah, and I mean, again, part of that is just the thing of, like, one of the things that I hope to see in this is I hope to see a villain who, because he's smart, uh, doesn't really have an interest in taking on the Flash, that the Flash is an obstacle to be overcome in service of a larger goal, but that he's not going to be playing cat and mouse with the Flash the whole season, just trying to, like, goad him into a fight, because that's one of the things we saw from the reverse Flash for reasons of narrative necessity because he needed Barry's speed. It's one of the things that we saw from Zoom for reasons of narr- na- narrative necessity because he needed Barry's speed. And then that's a thing that we saw from Savitar because 
Savitar had his whole damaged psychological reason why he needed to kill Barry and Iris. But, like, in every case, if your villain is, like, if, if his main goal is, I want to kill Barry or Iris, then you know, okay, well, he fails. Because there's not going to be a villain who kills the main character or the main character's wife. It's just not a thing that happens. So having somebody whose goal is essentially, I want, to, I want the flash out of my hair while I do something else important, um, it, it, it would make DeVoe a, a different kind of interesting character because, yes, it would be less visceral and less personal but it would also be more plausible that the Flash might lose because while you know like there's never going to be a villain who succeeds in like beating the hero once and for all because that's just narratively the most unsatisfying thing that could possibly happen um it's distinctly possible that you could get a villain who succeeds in some other goal that does not involve ending the entire TV show what I keep hoping, which, uh, I mean, personally for me, I keep hoping that, like, I keep looking at this whole part about, like, you know, a plan that he, you know, to fix everything that he deems wrong with humanity. I almost wonder, because the one thing that Flash has not really touched upon, besides the fact that there are a bunch of metas out there, mostly, <laughs> quote-unquote, evil, uh, or more, like, misguided, because, I mean, <sighs> reasons. Uh, either way, I... I kind of hope that in some ways the vote somehow like, like I don't know, kind of. I don't want to say a civil war between regular humans and metahumans, but almost kind of becomes this kind of beacon for metahumans that are living in Central City, you know, fearing for their lives because they know that metahumans are like wanted or something, or mm-hmm. e- or or either that, e- either he like becomes somewhat of a, like a spokesperson for them, like or he becomes their biggest threat of like maybe. I, I know that in Marvel there is the, the Super, Superhero Registration Act, uh, and I know Marvel has, I know DC has done like their own take on small, for example, like the Vigilante Registration Act, but I almost wonder if Flash could almost, like, if, because he, he's a lawyer, right? And maybe in this version, like, he is, you know, a prosecutor, or he's, he's like a district attorney or something, and who maybe, I don't know, like, maybe f- manages to convince the city to introduce some sort of, like, Metahuman Administration Act or something like, like I I don't want to see because he's obviously not going to be like I want to destroy Central City I want to rule Central City but like I almost wonder if he wants to create, no, I mean no 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 pun intended but like almost like a secret society, in in his own kind if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. I mean, I think that one of the more interesting kind of riffs on the, you know, because this is of course like the phrasing of this is this is a thing we see all the time, supervillains who think that they're right. And um, I think the best version of it I've seen in the recent past is actually uh, the third overlord from Savage Dragon. And he was like a former superhero who was essentially doing what he did because he saw that... uh, He saw that there was a fundamental problem of like a lot of like super freaks are only quote unquote evil because what the hell else are you going to do? If you're like this giant dude with a chicken head, nobody's going to hire you. 
And so, like, he puts together his little crime syndicate, and it's literally not because we want to do crime. It's because, like, this is what, this is the option that's available to us to make a living in the world. And uh, that is the kind of, like, thing that I think makes for a really interesting villain. Uh, and so I could, I could certainly see, if not the thinker, I could see them exploring that with somebody in the world of the flash, because as you noted, like we have a lot of, and, and I assume that we have dozens of superheroes that are still totally unaccounted for because just logically we would have to. Oh, it, uh, it just drives me crazy that almost for three years now that, how many here has actually emerged from the metahumans in center? I'm, I'm still just bothered by the fact that I, I know I'm a lot about this, but I, I, I kind of don't like the fact that on Earth One, metahumans only exist through mostly through Harrison Wells. And even though on Legends we've seen Obsidian in the past, long before Harrison Wells even was there, like exist as a metahuman, like I kind of. Just, I just want them to flesh out that. But you're right. Like, I kind of want to see more. I mean, that's why we're going to see Ralph. Um, but in the same time, like, you're right. There's, I mean, what what other heroes could they actually be like? Could they actually be wa- waiting to actually introduce at some point that aren't Central City that might be like, like, do you think there are, do you think there might actually be some big DC staples waiting around in Central City that they're just like, oh, we will use them when we when we want to. You know, it's always so hard to know. I mean, obviously, there's part. I mean, part of the problem, honestly, with Central City is that the Flash has built up a like an army of speedsters in the comic. There are really, I just can't think of very many decent superheroes in Central City who aren't directly Flash adjacent. Uh, and and so you run the risk there of having everything being super monotonous and like Barry's not as special anymore. And, you know, and, and it's always a challenge to take characters who are basically just like knockoffs of your main character and make them interesting without that interest taking something away from the main character. Cause like, it's kind of the thing of like when writers decided that like Supergirl needs to be stronger than Superman in order for her to be quote-unquote interesting to to certain readers, then, like, immediately that is a ding on Superman uh, to those same readers. Like, the only people who are going to be particularly swayed by that argument that she's, like, really cool because she's stronger than him uh, are the people who are going to be, like, somehow annoyed or who are going to like him less because of that kind of change and so i think that's the risk that you run when you have characters who all have basically an identical skill set is that anything you do to make say jesse quick uh super like cool in the eyes of the viewers runs the risk of them being like damn well if she's that cool how the hell come barry can't get his shit together and do that (laughs) you know oh jesse quick my our, our brother, uh, uh, one of the most underappreciated heroes of the of the Arrowverse. I know, <laughs> even though especially we, because Violet Bean is just adorable, right? And she and Wally are so good. I mean, I know what people are still like. Well, he should be with Linda. I'm like, well, I, I mean, I mean, it could still happen at some point. But like, yeah. I, I think Wally and Jesse are cuter together. I don't know it. 
It, I mean, that, it goes back to a, a thing. I think I don't know if I've talked to you, with you about this, but it's it goes back to a thing that has happened a lot in comics, where everything is drawn, everything is driven by events, and so very few characters get to have real supporting casts anymore. Because oh, we, so were, many, we were talking like, about so that last week. Yeah, and and so for me, like the idea of putting Wally together with, uh, with another member of Team Flash rather than Linda. It's economy of storytelling, and to a great extent, I don't like it because it it makes the world smaller. Like it makes every character has to be related to every other character within one degree of separation. Uh, but on the other hand, I understand the appeal of it because you don't have to spend a bunch of time and effort like setting up who a character is before the viewers give a crap. Well, fingers crossed that Jesse comes back this season because I lo- all of us on Flashback loves her, and she, and you know, it's I mean, a female speaker is kind of fun, um, but I mean, she's you know, she has a new gig now on Fox for a couple of episodes, but um, but speaking of female characters, uh, because the Vogue won't be alone, he's gonna be working with the mechanic, who will be played by Kimmel Kim, oh Lord, I'm gonna butcher her name, Engelbrecht, Eng- I think. Okay, there we go, and she is described as. Has uh, the press release says she's been said as the DC character of the mechanic? Even that's up for debate. A highly intelligent engineer who designs devices for Devoe as Devoe's right hand. She's the truest of true believers who will who will stop at nothing to help him implement his plan to fix humanity. Now I dropped a theory last week that um, I actually kind of hope it's going to come to fruition that she's actually Sue. What was her last name? Uh, Dearborn before the marriage. So. Okay, okay, yeah. I would say Sue, Sue, yes, yes, Sue Dunn. Uh, like I almost hope that she is Sue, and that she will become someone that Ralph has to save, and he actually succeeds rather than her being murdered or you know whatever. And that way, mm-hmm. she's also like this very smart, intelligent woman. You know, this powerhouse of a woman that Ralph falls for. But like, what are your thoughts about her helping Devoe and? Who do you think she might be? Because they're not going to call the mechanic the whole season. It's kind of like what, what they did with Brenda Strong on Super Bowl. Like they called her the doctor for two episodes. And then she's like, what up, I'm Lillian Luther. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how they play that. Because in the comics, I think we talked about this last time too. But in the comics, the mechanic is like an incredibly minor character. Who, as far as I know, has never actually taken the mask off. And so we don't actually know... There, like, there is no name, so it's not like the Adrian Chase thing on on Arrow, where it's like you find out that he's one character, and you're like, oh damn, that's a double, that's a double whammy, because it also means that he's not vigilante. Oh, I'm so, like, I'm, I'm still terrified of who they're gonna reveal as the vigilante because it's like, it has to be someone we know, right? I'm so, sorry, tangent, but like, really, I'm kind of terrified of who it's gonna be. It's yeah, Razor the Maid. <laughs> I'm I'm down for that. No, I mean, how cool would that be? It would be kind of dope, actually. Uh, or, or you know what? It's Jason Blossom. He never died. He created a, a time realm. Then they went. No, okay, sorry, sorry. Well, you know, he could he could have when he when he died. He he could instead of have died, he could have just gone into the Speed Force and gotten popped out in the Marvel universe, and then show back up with a, a shaggy beard and no memory of his previous life. And also half his face burned like a pizza face. 
I was I did we ever did you ever get an explanation to that at any point? What? Why? Why Barry's half of Barry's uh, face was like burned? I don't think so. Oh, excuse me. That's all right. I I don't think so. I think that we're probably supposed to assume that it was like a a close call with the speed force or a time remnant or in a fight. I mean, certainly the the interesting thing about damage like that is like unless you put in like okay well that was a time remnant and so there's a reason that he's scarred like the flash's healing power shouldn't let his face scar like that so like having no explanation for it makes it kind of super interesting because you're like yeah you know logically that shouldn't exist and so my brain wants to fill in those blanks and come up with a plausible answer um but okay, so, uh, sorry, I I went out of tangent. Uh, mechanic, uh, um, yeah, we haven't seen. I've seen like one picture of her or of him in the comics. Oh, it could be a her. I mean, you you can't really tell what gender the mechanic is uh, because of the way he or she is clo- uh, clothed. Yeah, it wears basically a giant like one of those like welding suits. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I literally know nothing about the mechanic. It was one of those things where, like, I heard somebody had been cast as the mechanic. And I went to look because I'm like, oh, that sounds like a name that exists. And you go to, like, the DC wiki, and basically it tells you, this is indeed a name that exists. (laughs) Uh, That that is so true. Um, Do you think she could be Sue, maybe? Because, I mean, I, I just can't. Ima- oh, sorry, go on. I, I have a hard time believing that she's nobody, especially because, like we talked about last time, like the Flash does love their big reveals, um, and and I just I have a hard time believing that when we meet anybody who is a major character and whose name we don't like, whose real name we don't know, I just have the hardest time believing that there's pretty much any chance that that person won't turn out to be somebody who's, like, important or interesting. And I think it would be, it would be kind of a cool way to kind of also then connect, you know, Ralph's story to the thinker <laughs> as well. And um, I um, as we, this, the more we're talking about it, I'm kind of ex- getting more excited for what the, what this could do. And we were t- You were talking about that maybe he will lead a group of villains, or more specifically, rogues. Um this season kind of feels like it's the right time to do the rogues, if 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 ever. Or, I mean, they could save it for season five because I, I'm I'm still. I mean, I don't know how you feel about, it, but I'm imagining that whoever, whatever Captain Cole we're gonna get on the on Legends tomorrow this season will probably go over to the Flash once, once they've aired season three. I I would be surprised if Wonder Woman then suddenly does a few guest spots on, Flash season, if Flash season four like in April or something. And maybe that's when we get the rogues. Um, I, I mean, I don't have you. I mean, have you given much thoughts like how how the rogues would come together and how would they, how would you do it with a? Captain I really Cole? haven't given it a lot of thought, honestly. I, I I do a lot of like speculation type pieces at work when the season's actually going, and I have a little bit more information at my fingertips. But like when it's this early in the going, and I I know so little about most of what's going on, I always feel like it's it's like one step removed from me just doing fan fiction and then calling it a news story. So I'm like, but fan fiction is the best kind of news stories. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll do it sometimes. Cause like I did a story yesterday about how, cause I I was talking about what makes certain characters work on screen and not, I did, I ended up on a whole tangent about how 
the reason that Tom Hiddleston's Loki works is because he's like this broken, pathetic character that's, you know, he's got more in common with Rocket Raccoon than pretty much anybody else in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so I end up doing, like, kind of, it, it shaped everything that I was doing, and I kind of turned that opinion piece into, like, hey, should Loki just go join the Guardians? Because he seems like a really good fit for those guys. <laughs> um, so it's not like I don't do some of these kind of, like, hmm, I think we could do this, and then propose this elaborate, you know. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I tend not to, until the show actually starts up for the season, put a whole lot of thought into the mysteries, because I feel like every time I do, I just get myself married to a theory that's never going to happen. And the CW is really good, or, or these shows, the Berlanti shows, are really good at not leaving you hanging for too long. So probably, like, I'll watch season the season four premiere, and by the end of the premiere, I'll already be like, oh, here's a whole different pile of questions that I need to answer. Well, um... What else do you think the fingers present could lead to? Like that you hope that it will lead to, or that you you think it will lead to? Besides, like, 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 how how big do they need to go in order to make you know Devo as one of the most memorable villains of the Flash? I think that big might be the opposite of what they need to do. Honestly, I think that they've been getting bigger and bigger and bigger good, each good with each successive season. I think that the thing you might do with DeVoe is not uh, breadth, but length. Uh, I think that, you know, the because of how terrible they were and how dangerous they were to not only the Flash family, but the world around them, uh, it very quickly became obvious that characters like Zoom and uh, Savitar had to die. And yeah, there's time travel and there's blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, once you've killed this character, he's never going to be the same kind of... He's never going to have the same cachet and the same weight, and he's never going to be the same big bad again. And so to me, like one of the things you can do with a guy like DeVoe, because he's not really a, a threat to the Flash or to the world on the same scope as a person with godlike powers would be, is... This is a guy you can just throw in jail, and he can come back later with uh, you know, additional powers and a really bad attitude, and suddenly he's more dangerous than he was the first time. I see what you mean. Um, you know, like, I said, like you said, not, don't think big, think length, because the CW insists on giving us 23 episodes of these shows which you know what I think that's the true villain of uh, of these shows <laughs> like it's not it's not Michael Merle it's not uh, Deathstroke or Prometheus or Reverse Fly or Zoom or Zavatar or the Legion of Doom or god what's the name of Supergirl uh, Rhea, Rhea and uh, Astra and Non like it's actually 23 episodes oh Riverdale agrees well I mean look, look here's the thing Riverdale can do like forty six episodes per season, and I will watch them and enjoy them because, I mean, <laughs> again, listen, I don't want you guys to think that I'm like just hating on these TV and just like finding an excuse to just talk about Riverdale. But like last season, Riverdale was my most enjoyable like comic book show on the CW, and yeah, I don't, I, mean, I don't really... read Archie. I didn't read Archie, and I, this was like my first intro to it. Sorry, what were you gonna say? I, I really, I enjoyed 
most of the the CW superhero shows more last year than I did the year before. Um, it was a really good year for them, but I still found myself thinking like that the things that I couldn't wait to watch and the things that were blowing me away were um, Legion and Riverdale, and you know once the season got rolling, I Zombie, because uh, there was a lot of like cool, fun, unexpected stuff that was going on in the in those shows. There was a lot of really cool like filmmaking stuff going on uh, that that appealed to me on a level that didn't it didn't require like the big action movie moments or, or to introduce like the ninth superhero on the show. And so uh, uh, certainly I can relate to what you're saying because to me I'm like, you know I'm, I'm, I loved uh, most of these shows better than ever last season. But uh, I still, like, my favorite show of the year was, was Riverdale, hands down. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm super excited to see what they do with more episodes, but I'm, I'm equally skeptical about the idea that, like, shows that work in 10 episodes don't always work in 24. You know, a good example is the American version of The Office, which... Uh, the first season was a shortened season because it was essentially, I mean, it, it was a really, really aping its British predecessor. Um, and then there were a couple of years where the show remained really, really good, even with a longer season. But then once it started to show where, it was like exponential where it was like season to season, it would get so much worse, like in a way that didn't even really make sense. Uh, and so I'm always super cautious about upgrading a show from, you know, a 10 episode season to a 13 and a 13 to a 23 kind of thing. No, oh, I agree. And I mean, and I'm partially joking about it because I'm sure like I'm probably going to have, you know, have, I, I'm even, I'm sure I'm going to love Riverdale season two. I'm, I feel like, I think I will have, I will be able to find more issues with the show in season two because of its 22 episode structure mm-hmm. or if it's 23, I don't know. I, uh, so people keep saying different things. It's either twenty two, twenty three, but either way, it's like it will be. Yeah, like I'm sure. I'm. Like, I'm sure there will be times where I say, you know, oh my god, Cheryl has been like talking about her brother, like, like what she, what he used to love too many times this season or whatever. Yeah. Oh, you know, oh god, she's gonna do it about her dad this whole season, like you know. <laughs> well, you know, daddy used to, you know, daddy used to like to be naughty too. That you know, daddy used to, daddy, daddy's then daddy also used to be called Clifford. <laughs> Daddy used to murder people. Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, oh my God! And we we will still never know why he why he killed JJ. Um, huh. Oh my! Now I remember Jughead's whole like it's the ultimate cliffhanger, and then <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, but uh, no, cl- closing thoughts on the finger coming to the flash, and any other thoughts you have about season four? Like um, because because I know from listening to Archie Digest last season that. I I heard the term "damn it, Barry" a lot being mentioned. <laughs> um, thank you, David, for encouraging him to the and then creating a logo for him. That's the, well, that's I, the... I, to be fair, I asked David to create a logo for me because uh, <laughs> during a during one of my interviews at Comic Con, uh, uh, Candace Patton said that she wanted to rename the show to "Damn It, Barry." Um, which I believe, I believe it or not, I did not encourage her to say that in any way. Um, the question that I asked her was, uh, 
I was like, okay, so, you know, right before he disappears off the face of the earth, he goes out and hand delivers all your wedding invitations. Oh, God. <laughs> so, like, now you're stuck and, like, your, your fiancé is gone and you're spending the next six months of your life answering the mail, like, uh, bundled up with all of your sadness and your everything else about this. Like, is there a lot of anger at Barry because, like, this was something that, like, has made your life so much harder? And, like, Candace just volunteered, like, you know, I really just, I, w- I think we should rename the show Damn It, Barry. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, I'm going to use that now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I saw. And I'm like, I've been such a defender of Barry this whole season. It's like, oh, the Archies and the Barrys of the world, like, they need to be my protection. <laughs> well, um, well. Any closing thoughts on Devoe and any other thoughts you have about season four? Because uh, I mean, hopefully we will have you back during season four. And mm. uh, since you know, well, since you get off work when we start recording, maybe we, <laughs> I'm sure we can make it work. But uh, do you have any closing thoughts on the Thinker uh, expectations, hope, and just thoughts about season four as a whole? Are you are you, are you, are you excited for Devoe and are you excited for season four? Um, I'm excited for season four. I'm kind of cautiously optimistic about DeVoe. DeVoe's not a character, like I said, who I've been really super like into over the years. Uh, and and I think that it's a bold move for them to... Uh, like. It's not a bold move to move away from speedsters, because that was just necessary. But I do think it's a bold move to move away from speedsters and then make your next dude like somebody who an entire generation of comic fans could have grown up without ever reading a really good thinker story. Like, you know, people my age, pretty much by the time I read my first good thinker story and was like, oh, is this a dude who's interesting? Maybe I should go back and look. Um, I was like 20, because it was when JSA came out. And so, you know, I I think there's a, a certain amount of gutsiness to, like, okay, yeah, I acknowledge that we can't do another speedster, but it still would have been way easier to just be like, you know what, let's like try to throw money at one of the popular rogues who's been here before and use like Mark Hamill or the dude who played Mirror Master or somebody and have a, a more recognizable villain as your big bad. Um, using the thinker is kind of one of those things where you're like, I don't know what to make of him because he's kind of a blank slate, which could be a good thing. Yeah, it could absolutely be a good thing. I mean, that's that's probably what they were going for with Savitar, since Savitar really only appeared in that one story. Uh, and you know, that way they were able to just kind of rewrite his mythology to suit what they wanted to do on the show. And certainly it sounds kind of like they're doing that with DeVoe, because again, DeVoe, in my experience, has never really had the, like, I'm going to make the world better by doing terrible things, which certainly... I mean, if his bio didn't sell you on that, then the mechanics bio with her being a true believer in his cause certainly indicates that that's kind of the the direction they're heading in. Mm. And that seemed to me like that's super interesting if done well. It's definitely hard to do it well. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that shakes out and whether or not I'll be more or less excited for him as a big bad once we've actually met him on the show. Well said, and um, starting October tenth on the CW, we will start getting the answers to that. So, um, but I think that's going to be it then for our spotlight. Uh, hopefully, listeners, we um, gave you a good, uh, a better idea of uh, 
what to expect from Devo, uh, where you can go and check out some of his comic stuff. And uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be, it's gonna, be, it's good with changes for for your favorite TV show. And it's uh, like Russ said, it's gonna be good that we have something. You know, it's a bold choice, like like he said, and you know, it's almost like it's almost like when Arrow went with uh, Damian Dark in season forty, went with a magic character, and but then it didn't really work. But like, and again, it's kind of like instead of another archer or another like assassin, it's just you know something different. But um, uh, but Russ, first of all, thank you so much for coming on again. It's always so much fun to have you on. And uh, where where can people find you on social media and all the products that you do uh, that people should check you out at? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Russ Burlingame, R-U-S-S-B-U-R-L-I-N-G-A-M-E. And in there you can get, you can usually, my, my bio link to my comicbook.com work is right in there, so you can follow it to my author page. Uh, I also, like you said, I co-host a number of podcasts, uh, which if, if you follow me on Twitter or if you follow ECB underscore podcast, which is the Emerald City video podcast, uh, all of the audio work that I do all just goes through those two accounts. Um, Emerald City Video is essentially the parent's podcast for a, a number of other things that I do. We just set up a Patreon uh, for people to uh, sign up for incredibly wacky things. Like uh, it's, it, we actually are going to be doing a uh, an exclusive, like a backer-only uh, video podcast once a month that we will distribute by VHS. Um, oh my god <laughs> and so uh, like you can check that out at, at Emerald City Video and then Emerald City Video both from a just a branding point of view and also from a, a like a, a, a paying for stuff point of view everything that, that Emerald City Video does helps to pay for Archie Digest a Riverdale podcast and Delicious Flavor a Psych Rewatch podcast uh, because those shows basically only exist because uh, I and my co-hosts want them to exist and are willing to pay hosting fees to keep them alive. So uh, that's uh, that's pretty much what you can you can do. You can follow me on Twitter, and Twitter will point you in the direction of my my day job. And then you can follow ECV underscore podcast for the plethora of podcasts that I'm currently working on. Uh, or you can go to Patreon patreon.com slash Emerald City Video. And if you back us for a buck a month or whatever, then you'll get like early access to all of the podcasts that we do basically the minute they're published. Awesome stuff, guys. Make sure that you follow him and check out his stuff at com.com and all the podcasts that he does uh, are all on iTunes. So it's it's good stuff. It's um, I, I mean, I, I will admit it I, because I, I haven't watched Psych in like years. So I, I'm not subscribed to Delicious Flavor, but it does also feature uh, one of our own DC Podcast members, uh, Snarky Sean. So, uh, and you know, he's in good company with Russ. So like you guys, if you're big Psych fans, you should uh, check it out for sure. And uh, listeners, you can find me on uh, my public Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, all at Anibabacht. Anibabacht is spelled B-H-B-K-H-T. Uh, I run the Marvel Port, uh, a big uh, Marvel fan website for all things related to the Marvel Universe. And I run the DC Podcast Network, which I will plug in a minute. And I also recently, I, I told you guys last week that I, I may have some fun news, um, just for my personal life or whatever. But I'm going to be seeing some of my writing this year, uh, this season I mean, at the TV Fanatic. I just published 
a bunch of stuff. Uh, like, but, but you know, if you're hungry for decent TV stuff, like I did, I did a slideshow for things, you know, fifteen things that we know about Flash season four, Arrow season six, and Supergirl season three. So if you want to make sure that you know what's coming up in these upcoming seasons of the shows, just check them out. Uh, it's all on my Twitter page, and I also co-host the Titans podcast, podcast which is dedicated to the new Titans TV show. Which, yeah, I just want to know who, who's playing. I just want to know who's playing Beast Boy. Like, I'm just waiting. I'm just hungry for that uh, because they've just they've been casting all the other ones. So, um, but make sure to check out that podcast. I host it with a, a awesome group of people with Kat, Amy G, and Corey. So, um, it's good stuff. And then, of course, for the podcast, uh, for the Flash podcast, theflashpod.com for all the latest news on uh, the TV show uh, about uh, comic reviews from Tatiana. Yeah, we have all the trailers, photos, and stuff you need to know about the TV about the TV show for uh, for season four. So there's always stuff going on theflashpodcast.com. You can follow us on social media at theflashpodcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. We probably need to do another Periscope before season four starts. So. Keep an eye out. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And while you're at iTunes, hit us up with some five-star reviews and let us know what you enjoy most about the show and the podcast. And you can listen to the Flash Podcast live on the Mixed Radio Network on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern via the Mix.fm. And of course, be sure to check out the entire DC Podcast Network featuring great shows for Arrow, The Flash, Supergirl, Legends Tomorrow, Black Lightning, Krypton, Titans... I Zombie, as well as classic DC TV shows, and all at DCPodcast.com. You can follow the network on social media at DC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And last but not least, be sh- be sure to subscribe to the mega feed for the network on iTunes Stitcher Radio, which is finally working properly. I fixed it, so no one needs to tweet me saying I'm not getting the latest episodes because you are. It is. If it- if you're not getting th- the latest version of it, just refresh or unsubscribe and then subscribe again because. It is working after five months. <laughs> <laughs> I had one of my goals on tw- for tw- one of my like year goals for 2017 was fix the damn mega feed so our listeners can listen to all the podcasts in, a- in just one collection. Nice. Uh, and then if you have any questions about the Flash or about the podcast, just email us at theflashpodcast@gmail.com and we will get back to you as soon as we can. And that's going to be it. Oh, see, Russ, do you have any plugs I have to do every week? This is, this is probably why it's good that you don't listen every week to the podcast, because this is what I do for 10 minutes. This is what I do for 10 minutes. After everyone else has plugged their stuff, I have to do all this for 10 minutes. And I'm like, it's, I, I know I said I wanted to be more busy again, but like this is like not the kind of busy I want to be. So, no, but listeners, that's going to be it for us this, uh, for this week. We'll, we'll be back with uh, a very special episode next week. And then the following week will be the season four. 3.5 finale of the Flash Podcast, which should most likely have all of us back together. It's going to be me, Amy, Andrew, and, and Brittany, so uh, look forward to that, and then it's time for Season 4. So, from all of us here on the Flash Podcast, I'm Andy B, and we'll see you next time on the Flash Podcast. <laughs>
So this whole Sabrina thing, um, when we were talking, when we when we were talking about it at um, when we, you were talking, when we were talking about it at Comic Con, like, did you feel like that, that like, this was gonna come like before the new TV season started? No, definitely not. I mean, I I would have thought that if they were gonna do an announcement, that it would be something more in the vein of what they did with Barry Allen, where it would be like. Oh, by the way, we just cast Sabrina for episode 209, and that's going to be a backdoor pilot for blah 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 You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I would have thought that we would have, we would, by the time we knew there was a show coming, that we would have had, like, an actor or some kind of context for where she's coming from and what she's doing. Uh, yeah, it was uh, because it's. I mean, I think at this point, like, it this definitely puts uh, the the whole charm reboot like definitely on like very much on the shelf because I'm like I just can't see them doing two, which shows um, next season. Yeah, I mean, definitely not next season. One thing is, it will be interesting to see to what extent the. Uh, um, it'll be interesting to see to what extent the. Oh, oh, to what extent the. Sabrina's show looks anything like it would be a uh, sharing any kind of real estate with Charmed. Because, like, outside of, like, yeah, there's witches, I don't really know how much it might have in common. Because, like, I don't know that they would do a Charmed reboot and go for a super gritty take. Which, I mean, might be naive, considering that I think most people would probably have thought that about Sabrina. But I, I, I don't get the impression that that's what they were going for. I think they were going for more of a straight remake of the like the sensibility of Charmed from the old days. Mm-hmm. And so then you coach the thing where even if it's technically about the same thing, like witches, they would be so tonally different and so visually different that is it really anything remotely the same? It's hard to, you know what I mean? I thought it was an inspiring choice that they went that, that um, the CW version of Sabrina will be, like the title of the show will literally be called The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Like I never thought they would go with that because I thought like if they would ever do a Sabrina spinoff, it would be Sabrina the Teenage Witch because like that's the one that you know with most brand recognition. But then again, I don't know how well the Roberto's uh, Sabrina comic has done with you know, that has the same titles. So I'm almost wondering like if they were testing the t- you know the two titles and seeing yeah this one is more marketable than the title that people were used to from the 90s. I just think that probably it's a matter of them wanting to keep Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Because, I mean, even just on on the face of it, Sabrina the Teenage Witch sounds light and bouncy. And, like, it just, it sounds like a brand that is geared more towards, like, the freeform type of audience than what the CW wants to do with this show. So it wouldn't surprise me if they want to do this as its own thing and keep the possibility open to do like an animated Sabrina the Teenage Witch either for like CW Seed or for Netflix animation or something like that. Do you do you think this whole I mean I know you I mean I know they haven't really cast anyone but like this whole Dove Cameron thing keeps you know coming up and I'm almost one I mean they must have looked. I think they must have at least talked to her about it at this point. You know. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really hard to say because it's one of those situations where she's friends with 
I want to say Madeline. She she like she's tight with one of the actors from Riverdale. And so on top of being like, oh, I really want this gig, and I want, I really want to do this thing, uh, she gets a lot of attention for simply being followed by like members of the casting crew of Riverdale. But I don't necessarily feel like a bunch of twenty-year-olds all following friends of friends is that damning evidence. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. And that's kind of become one of the curses of Twitter now is that, you know, as soon as someone follows anyone, like anytime Jeff Johns, for example, follows someone or, you know, like, for example, the Nightwing director uh, for, yeah. the, for the movie, he followed uh, Finn something. And then people are like, well, that means that he has to be playing Nightwing. But it's like, dude, sometimes maybe he just liked the movie he was in and he just wants to follow him. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's the the problem with stuff like that is that you'll be right once and then you can be wrong 30 more times because every time somebody says that's an idiotic reason to think so, then, you know, like uh, the good example is Jeff Johns following John uh, Cleese. Mm-hmm. And then John Cleese, I can't even remember what DC movie he supposedly is in. I think it's Aquaman. Um, but uh, John Cleese from Monty Python, maybe it was Justice League. Um, like they had this weird thing where Jeff Johns followed him on Twitter, and then a, like a day later, they announced that he was going to have a small role in one of the DC movies. And like some crazy person on Twitter or on Reddit had come up with a theory that like, holy shit, Jeff Johns followed John Cleese. I bet he's going to be an Aquaman or whatever the hell it was. And then it's like, okay, well now that person's crazy, unlikely guess. You, you you're going to have like lazy bloggers coasting off of that for ever yeah so it's like if you know if the you know the minute like for example like let's say kg appa follows dub people are gonna be like oh she's totally gonna be sabrina or something um but i mean i mean she looks apart i i mean i haven't seen anything in that she's done because disney channel is not really my <laughs> it, it's it's not really demographic for me but mm-hmm. um no, but like the, the thing that it's so interesting with this is, I mean, look, I love the the sitcom, of course. Which, ironically, now that I think about it, it, it was legit my first comic book TV show that I ever watched because without knowing that it was a comic book property. But do do you think we will actually have eight comic book shows next season on the CW? <clears throat> I feel like something has to be going if they're like going with like. Because at this point, I mean, I know it's like you know, one part is Vertigo, one part is DTV, and one part is Archie. But it's kind of like. At some point, even Petowitz has to be kind of thinking, no, I can't just, you know, do... I mean, it will be like 10 hours of pro- comic book programming. Uh, if you also include all the CW Seed stuff, like with Constantine and um, free, you know, the Ray, the free- Freedom Fighter thing that they're doing, and then maybe a first season of Vixens. I really don't think that's uh, a concern for Petowitz. I mean, I, I could certainly be wrong, and certainly, I mean, I think as long as you continue to have successes outside of the comic book sphere... You're not going to pigeonhole yourself as just the comic book network. Uh, and, I mean, the beauty of television that is a little bit different than, you know, say, feature films or even comic books is that at any given moment you can pull the plug and, like, that's just a thing that happens in television. It doesn't make you completely inept. It doesn't make you the Antichrist. Like, if, you know they decide halfway through the season that there's just too many of these things and that they're starting to get diminishing returns, then they can cancel, you know, the least, you know, they can 
drop the the least the lowest rated or the two lowest rated or something and it won't you know it, it's not crippling so to me i i don't think that the pro i don't think there's probably all that much thinking going on about oh well i don't want to be pigeonholed as x because you're you're never going to be pigeonholed as just the comic book network when you still have like a major major success in the form of uh in the form of supernatural and they still have like even riverdale is a show that isn't like i don't think the average person thinks of it as a comic book show um and so if you're talking about like well you're worried about the stigma of getting branded into that corner I don't think that that's a concern because I think that a lot of these shows people don't realize they're comic book shows unless they're people who are really kind of inside baseball-y. And the people who do kind of understand the inside baseball stuff, they're they're going to pretty much understand what's going on here with the CW. I don't, I, I don't – I mean I could, I could totally be wrong, but I just – I don't get the impression that that's how Pedowitz is thinking about his programming. No, I mean, I, no, I totally agree. And it's like, I mean, look, if it if it's success, that means money, and that means happy president. So, mm-hmm. uh, I just thought it was interesting because I was thinking, well, Black Lightning is most likely going to be a success. So that's probably it's definitely going to come back for another season. Um, unless Arrow decides to just shock everyone and be like, no, we're not doing season seven. We're ending on season six, and then hoping for a movie so that we can become the new community. Then I, I expect all these shows to come back. Um, I mean, Flash and Super Bowl definitely. I, I know with Legends, Legends and Arrow, like I could see them go out at any point at this uh, at this point, whether it's for ratings or if it's because of like, well, this is kind of where the story should be at, or if it's prioritizing. Well, if we do look at them strictly as comic book shows, like which ones, you know, like do we need most so on? Like, there's no way, like you're not gonna lose any Archie properties in the next five years on the CW because of the WBTV deal that they made a couple months ago. So they're safe, and Eye Zombie seems to always be safe. You know, I mean they're. Probably, I mean, I think they're gonna probably end after season five. But you know, look, as long as they want to go and make a good story, that's totally fine with me. I just want, you know, think if they do a comic book shows, I will applaud P- Pedowitz for it. But it's like, besides Supernatural and Jane and Virgin and um, oh, what's that other show? Um, crazy Ex Girl. Yeah, Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Um, like, there's not much else they're known for besides like their comic book properties, but. I I don't know. I think historically they're still the network of the like the teen soaps, uh, you know the to me when you say CW I still think of like Dawson's Creek, Veronica Mars kind of productions. Um I I don't necessarily go straight to their current hits. Uh so I don't know. Like I said, I I honestly don't know what they're thinking over there, but I have a really hard time believing that if things are making money, that anybody is too super concerned with, oh, well, I know we're making a a bunch of money on this, but it's technically another comic book show. The fact that they keep calling it a companion piece to Riverdale Lake, what what does it say to you like when someone, like when when a press release says companion piece rather than a spinoff? Um, I mean, what it really means is that they they want something to run alongside Riverdale and to serve as a as something that like 
Because Riverdale right now is demographically a lot different than most of the shows on the CW. Like, there's there's a lot of people who I think are watching Riverdale who aren't watching the superhero shows. And so I think what they want with a companion piece to Riverdale is they want to create a show that's going to capitalize on that new audience that's finding the network for the first time and try to keep them here once they're here. So do, do you see them airing back-to-back, like Riverdale 8, Sabrina 9? I, you know, I have, I really don't think so, um, mostly because I think you get diminishing returns when you do that. I think that if you have it all crammed into one night, there's going to be people who miss one or who can't do both or who don't have the patience for sitting through two hours of television. Uh, whereas if you put them on back-to-back nights, then you can no space. avoid that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I could totally see is see Sabrina being a, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, being like a legend season one slash iZombie kind of thing where they bring it in early mid season so that there's enough crossover with Riverdale that you can, you have like six weeks where they share the airwaves and then Riverdale goes away and Sabrina finishes out its run and, and closes up late in like late May, early June, you know? Yeah. I, I, I definitely see it as a 9 PM show. Like even though I get it, they're targeting teens and so on, that will probably be more tuning in at eight than nine. Given how dark this Sabrina is, like now in the comics, from like from what I understand, I I I just cannot picture them doing it as an eight PM show because at nine at nine no, they can do a lot more. Yeah, and I mean even just the log line that was released from the from the network today when they made the official announcement, it's just it sounds super dark and it sounds like they want to capitalize on kind of the popularity of the. Um, like the, what's going on with the Archie horror line and all that kind of stuff. So I, I really, I, I'm, I agree with you. I really, really doubt that we're going to see like an eight o'clock show come out of this. I think that's definitely going to be a, a nine o'clock show because I think that they're going to be trying to get away with as much as they possibly can. Uh, I mean, the fact, look, they didn't say outright that this is going to be a Riverdale spinoff. So theoretically it could just be an Archie property that takes place in an entirely unrelated universe. But in all likelihood, this is going to spin out of Riverdale, which means that you can look at the, the, the episode titles that they're using this season and kind of get a sense for, okay, so what does Riverdale Season 2 look like? What is its identity? Because you know they're, they're using the episode titles and they're na- everything is named after a movie. And last year, the overwhelming majority of the, the movies that they chose were like, noir mystery detective kind of movies um this year it's slasher films there's just an overwhelming number of just psychological horror and suspense and everything you know i I actually i did like a slideshow for comic book of all of the titles that we know it's out there i thought i've oh i thought you were on the embargo so i'm like oh he probably can't like tell me the title okay i didn't know that you had published them so like okay i'm no no it's because they're they're uh roberto does the same thing that mark guggenheim does in terms of he has been up like he's been uploading the the first page of scripts uh as they come in or whatever and so because they're in the middle of shooting the ninth episode we have nine titles um 
there's a kiss before dying, uh, which is actually so a little worried bit about that one. of a um, like it's 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 a little bit more. It feels like it would be at home in season one of uh, of of Riverdale. There's Nighthawks, which is a movie about a homosexual man who's like forced to hide his sexuality, but more likely than not, they're use they're just kind of they're hiding their real reference inside of a different reference because probably it's not actually about sexuality. It's probably just a, a callback to the fact that the episode is about Pop's Diner and Nighthawks is that very famous um, painting of the people at a diner in the middle of the night. Uh, you have The Watcher in the Woods, which is a, like a slasher-style movie from, uh, the, from the 80s. Uh or no 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 the, the watcher in the woods is the uh is like a disney suspensey not quite as it's got a little bit of a supernatural thing going on um the, I the, that one yeah yeah the one i was thinking of is is um the next one there's the town that dreaded sundown which is like flat out about a hooded serial killer who terrorizes a small town and kills a whole bunch of people yeah, uh, there's also, the the other ones are When a Stranger Calls, which is a really famous, like, one of the first major American kind of slasher type movies where uh, the babysitter's there and she gets, you know, it's the, the famous movie with the line, the call is coming from inside the house, um, where somebody murders a bunch of children that she's babysitting and then seven years later breaks out of the mental institution to go terrorize her again. Um Death Proof was part of the Grindhouse double feature that uh, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez did a few years ago. It's about Kurt Russell as like a stuntman who uses his stage car with all of its like protections to murder people. And, you know, these he basically picks on a group of girls who end up kicking his ass and killing him. Uh, Tales from the Dark Side... That's that yeah. a good title for a Sabrina like backdrop episode. Yeah, it's very possible. I mean, it's it's Tales from the Dark Side is kind of loosely based on the like creep show, uh, Tales from the Crypt kind of like EC style of comics and those movies that kind of come out of it. And certainly, like, the, the original EC Tales from the Crypt was a heavy inspiration on the original Chilling Adventures of Sabrina comics from years and years ago, which was, like, a horror anthology where Sabrina was basically, like, your master of ceremonies more than the main character. Uh, oh, man. But, yeah, there's... I, should, I need to check out one of these films at some point. Um, yeah, yeah I, I gotta do another... I gotta do a uh, an Emerald City thing where i take a look at some of these because I, I think it would be fun to kind of go through it with some of my co-hosts and look at some of the older movies that they're doing here well, i definitely hope they're gonna, i definitely hope they're gonna do a backdoor pilot for sabrina and i think well you know what it would be actually kind of fun if we could see her a little bit in season two like as a maybe a temporary transfer student or something although Never... Yeah, I mean, we t- we talked about it on Archie Digest today, and we were talking about the idea that the most likely scenario is probably seeing her first as a quote-unquote normal kid, and then getting just hints of something supernatural, and then having that pay off in her own series. 
um, because that's you know that's how they essentially brought Barry into Arrow. Yeah, like he gets struck, and then we only see him run on the Flash, and I'm that's kind of glad. Why I'm 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 kind of glad that the Flash the flashback to Pyre never happened on Arrow because I'm like I don't think I would have wanted to see him run on that show first before we saw on his own show. So that's kind of a good way for Sabrina as well, and. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to it. It was it's kind of funny that they announced this today because then just a couple hours later, like HBO decided to like, you know what, we're doing a co- another co- we're doing a comic book show too. We're gonna do Watchmen. Huh. Yeah, I mean, that's something that's been in development for a long time. Oh yeah, and yeah. and similarly, I'm pretty sure the CW released the, uh, the Sabrina thing because some reporter had it. And it was going to run it, and so they were just like, "Well, we might as well be under control of this," because in in the like the initial email that I got, kind of giving me the heads up about a half an hour before the news went out, um, the the exact wording of it was something along the lines of like, "This is a message for all you people who have bothered us about the Sabrina thing." Yes, we are happy to confirm it's happening. Um, so. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the like the group of people who got the the heads up uh, were people who had already kind of heard of it in some stage or another and inquired about it, and that you know probably one of those people had more than the rest of us and was going to run with it, and so CW decided now's the time. And that kids is how journalism looks like. It's all about communication, who you know, and is how to connect with uh, people. Um, uh, I'm sure. I mean, I'm hope. I mean, I'm. I'm probably. I'm certain they didn't sound as annoyed <laughs> in that email. Like, I mean, as the, the way you read it and so on. And, no, no. Because mostly, yeah. I just, I'm, I'm putting it in my own words because that way I'm not saying something I shouldn't by like reading the actual email on. No, yeah, exactly. Like basically, it's just you know, like they're you know, if you reach out and they. There's a lot, of, you know. Maybe they had a lot of people reach out, and they decide, you know what? Let's just confirm this. Um, although it makes me not wonder, like, when they were actually planning on dropping this. If they were waiting till TCA in January or something. But by then, someone would have leaked it, I guess. I mean, it's it's a really, it's hard to know without knowing what their plans are, because obviously some of us are starting to get screeners for some of the fall shows now. So it's distinctly possible that like. They'll release an episode of Riverdale sometime in the next few weeks that will that you know a bunch of reporters will now see. Holy crap! There's Sabrina, and if that is the case, then like it wouldn't make sense for them not to have announced it by then because ultimately somebody will say something. Um, there's there's always so many variables to this kind of thing that I always kind of. Sometimes I sit there and go, huh, that's a really curious bit of timing. But for the most part, I just don't think about it because I know that everybody has their own like 15 different variables and all the internal internal politics and all that kind of crap. And uh, at the end of the day, I'm probably not going to be able to figure out what the hell they were thinking when they did it. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, you're, I mean, you're and it right. could it could be the other thing because we are like a month out of the period in time where they start to really put pilots into production so it's entirely possible that it really boils down to they're going to be putting out casting notices in the next week or two and you know 
the last thing you want is for something like this where it's anticipated and it's easily identifiable and blah, 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 blah to leak out via you know, a casting notice and to have 15 people on the internet all thinking that they know what's going on when really only they have about a third of the story. Man, I, I do wonder if they will actually be able to get Melissa Joan Hart for one of the aunts. I, after a conversation I had today with someone, I don't think she, I don't think she would do it. Uh, it. I would be very surprised if she did because, like, this is a, a, a straightforward kind of dark horror take on the characters, which one isn't what she was in for when she was involved with this brand. Two isn't really her bag anyway. Uh, just in terms of like what her skill set is and the kind of actor that she is, and three, like she's a conservative Christian, and I don't know when you get into the serious nuts and bolts of like an actually supernatural, actually witchcraft driven, actually kind of potentially borderline satanic take on the character, if that's something that she might find offensive. Thank you for saying that so I didn't have to because I was like, Do, should I say, bring that up or not? But it's like... Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's certainly nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's not it's not exactly a taboo. Certainly, I mean, she campaigned for Mitt Romney, so it's not like she's ever made it a secret that she's conservative. Um, she doesn't really talk a whole lot about her spirituality, at least that I've seen, but I do know that she is like a, a go-to-church-every-Sunday kind of Christian. And Which certainly, there's nothing wrong with that, listeners. Just so you know, like we're not like yeah, not, yeah, not shading yeah. anyone. Just you know, just bringing up that's what they do. Well, and it's I mean, and at the end of the day, there everybody has to draw their own lines. There are plenty of practicing Christians in show business who you know will play demonic or satanic or otherwise evil characters, and they don't feel that that impedes their ability to be a good Christian at all. Um, there are other people who think that any kind of involvement with that sort of role is going to taint them in some way, either in their own mind or in their spiritual life, or even just like in the eyes of people whose opinion they value. And yeah. it's like, it, to me, it's one of those things, like it's an individual decision. And, uh, I think it would be a bummer if this show happens and we never get Melissa Joan Hart in some small role someplace. Like a cameo, I think. If, I, I think she would be down for that, but like playing like one of the, like, the you know, one of the witches that will be taking care of Sabrina, maybe that's just maybe too much. Or who knows, maybe she is able to kind of separate, um, how, do I, how do I put it, like, you know, like, um, the religion from, you know, from art, because, you know, it's just, you know, it's, an, it's a character, uh, basically, yeah. you know, and, um, uh, and plus, I mean, you know, because I think, I think you know, she knows that that's you know what she's most known for, and I think she would, you mm-hmm. know, and that's the Greg Belanti shows are very good with legacy casting, and I, you know, I, like like you said, I would be, I would kind of be pissed if she doesn't even show up as like I don't know, like a teacher at her at Greendale High or something. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I'd love to see her as like the teacher, or the principal of the high school or something, something where she could distance herself a little bit from the supernatural stuff where she could possibly play it a little bit more comedy where her strength is and where we wouldn't have, we, you know, we'd see her maybe two or three times a season. It'd be just enough that people were super excited whenever she showed up, but not enough that like the fact that she's a comedic actor in a super serious dark TV show potentially hurts her. You know, I do hope that the, the, act, um, the, the women who played uh, the actresses who played um, the aunts in the original series, actually like show up in some way, like, I think that's more likely than Melissa at this point, if I'm going to be brutally honest. 
it's funny. I have I have zero connection to the original series. Like I haven't actually seen. It's all Hulu. Like it still holds up even today. I mean, the the the, the, the college years are not as good, but the final you know, the final season is kind of like she gets back to the roots of her character. Like she like she ends up with Harvey, of course, and then you know she, um, you know the series ends. But the mm-hmm. show, I mean, like even like the first couple of seasons, like just in high school, it's it still holds up today. Even though like it is very cheeky, it's very um like outdated line dialogue and stuff like that. But it's 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 it's, it's still very enjoyable. And uh, so like if you ever like get a you know like just watching like a few episodes, like I it would be, I think you may find some appeal to it. Yeah, I very much. I mean, I might. It's one of those things I'll definitely have to watch before the new one starts, especially because I do Archie Digest. But uh, my like I'm I'm older than you are. My my main connection such as it is to melissa joan hart is because she did clarissa clarissa explains it all when i was a kid um and so by the time she was doing sabrina i think i was like 18 or 20 and just wasn't watching a show that was playing on network tv and appealing primarily to high school kids um so it's 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 an interesting kind of it's a totally different context that i have for her i guess and so i don't have quite as much like i have so little connection to the original show that my only real like reason for wanting to see it is the fact that it's an archie property and i kind of want to like get up to speed before the pilot of the new show starts yeah luckily we have like over a year i mean this could probably this could be a mid-season 2019 show for all we know but um yeah i mean they the the press release said that they were hoping for it to come in the 2018-2019 season. I don't know if that actually means 2018-2019 or if it means that they're going to shoot for a mid-season 2019 and they're just kind of putting that out there in case they can get a good jump. But Well, they got a director already for a pilot, which is kind of interesting, which is kind of like... Because they never said... It's the same director who directed the Riverdale pilot, so it's very much the same thing that they did with arrow and then flash it's just we're we're gonna get david nutter and we're happy with him so why change it and then you know that means that it's one less step that you have to deal with are you excited for riverdale to actually have the supernatural in it because i mean i'm guessing this will be all in the same universe i would be shocked if it's not but like do you think it's going to work that, like, we know that, you know, even if we don't see magic on Riverdale, like, we will know that, oh, if Archie just turns the corners, uh, he will, you know, he'll be in the Green Hill uh, territory, and, you know, that's where Sabrina is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, I don't think that it, it changes much in terms of the way that I perceive Riverdale. Uh, certainly, if it becomes a big part of the show and the way that superpowers became a big part of Arrow, uh, it can be a game changer but i don't think that i don't think that riverdale is particularly suited to that and i don't think that the way they seem to be interested in pursuing riverdale is particularly suited to that so my guess is that we'll see a fairly minimal interaction between the two i love jughead on sabrina i mean one thing that we were talking about on archie digest today is I, i it wouldn't surprise me if now that we have this, okay, we now have a forum where the supernatural is a, is a thing, and presumably it's tied to Riverdale. 
or at a bare minimum, it exists in the Archie kind of multiverse, and Riverdale also exists on the same network. So it wouldn't surprise me if this, instead of Riverdale, is where we see an afterlife episode. Where uh, Jason Blossom still doesn't get to talk. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It, still creeps, it still creeps me out the heck. I was rewatching season one a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, it, Trevor never got to say one word with audio. Like, there's a scene where he's talking with Clifford, and he, but it's just someone narrating. I'm like, just let the boy talk with audio. <laughs> it's so creepy, but I, no, I'm, I'm stoked for this. I this made me very happy. It didn't surprise me, which I mean, a lot of things with TV doesn't surprise me, but it still makes me happy. But I'm kind mm-hmm. of glad that th- th- this is gonna come to fruition. And um, it's still funny because a couple of weeks ago, I picked up um, the guy, the the showrunner of Riverdale, and he's also the the CCO of Archie Comics. Uh, basically, what Jeff mm-hmm. Johns does uh, for your listeners who doesn't know who Roberto Aguirre Sacasa is, yeah, he wrote the fr- he he's he's a writer of the the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina comic book series. So I like mm-hmm. I picked I picked up the volume one uh, the first volume a couple weeks ago, and my sister was me was with me and she was kind of like, why are you buying this? Um, like just because. Because she didn't like realize at first that if it, if it was because of a love for Sabrina the, the the sitcom or if it was something else, she was like, "Are they doing a show?" I'm like, "They're probably gonna do it at some point." Um, but like, I legit didn't know that you know. Oh, wait, a few weeks later they were gonna announce it. But like, I always felt like if they had this big deal with Warner Bros. Television, at some point, like, there's gonna be some spin-off, whether it is whether it is Josie and Pussycats or if it's Sabrina or something, but I'm like, I just like, Hey, they, they have this book here. I want to read more of Roberta's st- stuff, yeah. but it was just kind of funny timing that a few weeks later this happened. I'm like, Oh, cool. Yeah. My gut instinct is still that if we see a Josie and the Pussycats, anything, it's probably going to be an animated show on CWC because that gives them a lot more flexibility in terms of getting the girls into the studio to, to, do the music it gives them a lot more flexibility in terms of scheduling for the many many movies and tv shows that Haley and ashley are doing um and and that way they can also if they really want to they can go the more kind of classic josie route of essentially saying okay in universe there's an animated series that we're trying to put together to help promote the band and this is what you're looking at. So, like, yeah, these these pussy cats can fight supervillains and go to space and whatever other craziness stuff that we'd never be able to get away with in the very grounded world of Riverdale. I'm I'm up for it as long as it's, just, it's not like Vixen where it's only like five minutes per episode. I'm good with it. Um, but yeah, I you know I'm looking forward to hearing more about Sabrina and. Um, um, and like I said, you know, for listeners who are like wondering what the hell are they talking, what are they doing? I'm like, this is what we do now. Like since Riverdale started, like Riverdale's become one of my favorite shows. So like, if I can put Riverdale anywhere on the Flash podcast, I'm just gonna do it because I've been doing the show for four years. I feel like I have the the agency now to do it. And um, plus, it's always yeah. kind of fun, like you know, to say you know, well, what what if Riverdale and the Flash did a crossover? Mm-hmm. Uh, I still wonder what that photo uh, with Supergirl and. Uh, Betty Cooper was all about like it would be funny if they did some sort of promo together but yeah I, I I hope that they do at some point do a promo I I really like I, I I don't think that the crossover is something that would work necessarily but I do think that uh like I remember back I, I you know one of my other shows is Delicious Flavor a psych rewatch podcast that I do with Sean uh Carpenter from the I Zombie podcast no I Zombie radio uh, Eyes on Radio, yeah. sorry. No worries. And 
uh, when we watch, like when we're looking back at some of the old Psych stuff, one of the things that they used to have was they had, in the early days of Psych, they were still running The Dead Zone with Anthony Michael Hall and Monk on USA Network. And so they had these really funny TV spots where Sean and Gus from Psych and John Smith from The Dead Zone and Adrian Monk would all end up like in a diner together and they were playing off each other and contradicting each other and arguing and like Sean and Gus would make some big mess and Monk would get agitated about it. Um, and, And those promos, like I just remember watching them on TV and being like, this is a really fun, really clever way to promote this like block of programming that they have. And so I would love to see them kind of do that with Supergirl and Betty and Veronica because that, that you know that those are some of the most likable characters on the CW. And so the idea of putting those three at a table and just letting them like have fun for thirty seconds at a time, uh, there's something appealing about that. I still kind of just want to see like like I would like if I like just just off the top of my head like I would put like. Fred and Quentin together, um, mm-hmm. not just because they look so like they look like it could be actually related, but it's just because I'm like, Fred is probably the more he's. Probably, I mean, even though he got spoiler, he got shot, and uh, he's probably the one who's had an easier life than than poor Quentin. So like, plus I think Quentin just needs a good dad friend, and because Joe's always busy, and uh, I want to see how. Oh my God, Jughead and Oliver, who is who brings the mo- mo- the most angst out of those two? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's 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 a different kind of scope because with the teenagers, it's most of the angst is like imagined and in kind of put there by by your brain chemicals, as opposed to Oliver, where just every terrible thing that could possibly happen to a human happens to him. I was gonna say something mean about Oliver, but you know, I think I, I'm saving that for season four of the Flash because where I. No, no. I, you know what? To be honest, I really like season five of Arrow, and I really hope that the uh, the show keeps up its uh, quality from this past season. I felt it was a huge improvement. Like it's, you know, despite all my jokes, I was like, no, this was really enjoyable. Like I haven't like, I haven't been able to say I liked a season of Arrow for almost two years. So, so I I think the obvious thing that we should do is instead of making fun of Arrow, is that we should just make fun of Amanda and Mike. Oh, uh, quiver people. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, wait, so you, you, wait, you know Amanda and, and Mike? Not really. We, uh, I think Mike follows me on Twitter. I know I follow both of them. I used to listen to the show pretty regularly, and then my my life got full of doing actual podcasts, and now I don't listen to many other people's. Um, it's all right. I, I don't take any offense that you don't listen to mine. But you're on my subscribe list, and so I'll I'll listen when you know, when I get five minutes at a time. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, uh, I used to follow their show really regularly and I haven't in a while because I'm super lazy, but, uh, I'm busy too. It's like, guys, I mean, we're recording this episode right now, like beyond after midnight on the East coast, because Russ basically, he just cut off work. Yeah. I work from four to midnight and I have three kids and so, uh, my, my time is pretty eaten up. I actually, I, I have to. I have two episodes of Delicious Flavor that I'm like two. I'm like two weeks behind, and I'm determined I'm going to finish editing these two before two days from now when the next one is supposed to come out, so that at least we can only be one week behind instead of three. Um, 
So yeah, uh, so, some although we did, oh, sorry, we, go on. we did get. I was going to say we did get Archie Digest, a Riverdale podcast. We we got our episode of Archie Digest turned around in like two hours today because uh, we we were super excited about the uh, the Sabrina news and we wanted to talk Riverdale, and so we. Uh, Chris and Craig and I got together, we recorded and we got it turned like I, I edited it on the fly while I was working and got it turned around within like two hours. Guys, uh, yeah, it's a very good party. You should definitely subscribe to it. I, um, you know, and all, and all, and both those two gentlemen has been on. No, Craig has actually never been on the Flash Burgers. So, uh, Craig, you got, you got to come on. Uh, nobody, but Chris Haney, he was on in uh, season one. So, like, yeah, go to iTunes, subscribe to, uh, Archie Digest, uh, a Riverdale podcast, or I, I, as I call it, the Riverdale podcast, because I think it's, I mean, I think it's the best one out there. So, uh, but I definitely want to, I'm definitely going to listen and hear all your thoughts. Uh, did, did, does Craig mention Sheriff Killer at any point? Craig, kind of, only kind of, sort of. Uh, at the very end of our podcast, Chris made some comment about Sheriff Keller uh, having been unfairly maligned throughout all of season one. <laughs> And Unfairly. and how like Sher- Sheriff Keller didn't actually kill anybody, and he's not gonna do, and he's not gonna kill anybody this season either. And Craig was like, "Well, he didn't kill anybody, but he did shoot, but he did shoot Fred." And which, then, which is a joke, guys. He's like, "That's we don't know for sure if that's what actually happens." I mean, no, th- they probably know what happens, but I don't because no, I'm, I'm, seen, I'm not a cool kid. So, but hopefully, I, it wasn't. I've, I've seen, that. I haven't seen any of the new episodes yet. I have seen a couple of like the official synopses that we're not allowed to like release yet. And I, and I will say that, like, I think it will be based on these synopses alone and no other information. I think it will be quite a while before you find out who it is who's under the hood. Uh, so it, it will be someone from. It will be like some sort of replica replica of someone with this like scarred face and a really bad <laughs> hairdo, and it won't really make sense why they wanted to shoot Fred, but it's because they have to do so they can exist i um i i i've been binging season three of the flash uh this past week on netflix and man it's it's a it's a little bit depressive and savitar is is one of them so i think yeah i may have not made fun of savitar during season three of the flash podcast but i am now but uh but we you know be- it's funny because like i when he was in the comics i remember really really disliking savitar uh he was a character that was like he, he literally was one of those characters that just comes in and it's like oh look i have the same power set as your hero but also i am like an immortal god who can do other crap that your hero hasn't learned to do yet and it didn't feel like any of it was earned it felt like okay this is just a, a character that we're putting out into existence with no real like he nothing about him you know very much like what you were complaining about with season three where like his motivation was unclear in the comics his motivation wasn't unclear it was just really stupid um yeah no, i remember i mean you i mean uh, you, you funny enough, you were actually on you were the one who did the character spotlight for savitar with us and i'm like yeah and i actually i really liked the story savitar was in because the way that they reacted to him in the comics was a really cool story but as a character, I, I, Savitar at best was like one of those guys you love to hate. Mm-hmm. Um, it was re- I just remember really actively disliking the character, and I can't even really remember why outside of some very broad strokes. But uh, 
so it's it's interesting to me. Uh, I thought that for most of the season, um, they did a pretty good job handling Savitar, but I think that when his motivation kind of fell apart at the end, and some of the stuff didn't make sense entirely, uh, and the fans started getting very angry, I have a really hard time rebutting those criticisms because I'm kind of like, yeah, I see it all too. <laughs> um, uh, some of it bothers me, some of it doesn't, but I do kind of feel like I, I totally get the why of it. Well, speaking of villains, that's a perfect segue. So let's talk Devo 